A young perspective on hot button issues around the world. This is the Hub. Hello and welcome to the Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Since its establishment in 2015, the new development bank, the NDB, also known as the BRICS Bank, has endeavored to cater to the socio-economic development and environmental protection needs of its member states. Now, as part of its new general strategy, the NDB will work towards aligning its new operations within the Paris Agreement. It says it aims to direct 40% of its total financing over the 2022 through 2026 period to projects contributing to climate change mitigation and adaptation. Today, in our Beijing studio, we have the honor of having Leslie Mastorp, the NDB's vice president and chief financial officer. To discuss the bank's overall strategies and beyond, Leslie, so good to have you. Welcome to Beijing and to our studio. Thanks for having me, Leslie. We know there have been a number of、uh, national and multilateral development banks out there. What are the current priorities for the new development bank under your leadership? So July 2023 marks a very important month for us because it's the occasion of our eighth anniversary. So the bank is still in. Institutional terms, a very young institution. We're still in elementary school, if you like, in the life of an institution. But over these last eight years, the bank have established itself as a truly new global addition to the MDB、uh, world. Firstly, we have completed or approved up to 35 billion dollars of new infrastructure projects.、Uh, that represents、uh, 99 projects spread throughout the BRICS、uh, countries. So, from a zero start, a complete startup in 2015, to almost 100 projects today, that is a significant、uh, achievement. The second major achievement, I would say, over this period is that we have deepened. The focus of our member countries' infrastructure、uh, priorities in a sustainability、uh, sense. So, of our projects, as you've just、uh, flagged, we aim to have almost half of our projects going forward is going to have a green and sustainable focus, meaning it will be focused on the climate、uh, agenda. And then, thirdly, the bank has. Uh, Specialised in developing its local currency offerings, meaning we raise funding in the local currency of our member countries, and then onlend in the uh, local uh, currency. Going forward, I would say one of the key priorities is new membership, expanding the global footprint of the bank to become a truly global institution of emerging markets. You're talking about、uh, new investments and new projects.、Uh, Juma Rousseff, the new head of the organization, recently during a speech said that, that the NDB will "quote unquote" fund a greater share of projects in local currencies.、Uh, what is the rationale behind? Can you elaborate? Sure. So, right from the outset in 2015, the bank set out to、um, deepen a local currency financing. Now, when you lend to countries as a bank in U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars is where the deepest pools of liquidity resides. Meaning,、uh, because it's a global reserve currency, you can raise dollars at the cheapest level because there's a large、uh, number of institutional investors you can raise money、uh, from. Each of our member countries, China, for example, has a bond market the size of its economy. China has an 18 trillion dollar economy. Its bond market is slightly bigger、uh, than that. So there's sufficient resources in China in the financial and capital markets which can be tapped into for the development of infrastructure. So let's take China alone. In China, almost half of the projects that we are financing are in RMB. So the Chinese yuan is one of our most developed local currency markets, and we have raised、uh, now 40 billion RMB over the last eight years. 
that money has gone into the financing of you know, rooftop solar projects in Shanghai, uh, offshore wind projects, uh, financing of, of airports, rail projects, and so on. We now want to reproduce that local currency strategy in the other member countries, in South Africa, in India, in Brazil, and, and so on. So we're helping the countries to diversify so that they don't only borrow in US dollars, but they also deepen their own capital markets. Mm -hmm. It's a more efficient way of financing infrastructure. Then lastly, there had been a whole lot of talk about the de-dollarization, or at least the initial process of it. Uh, but you look at some facts on the ground, like, like we have been just talking about, uh, only some 4% of Forex uh, was reserved in RMB, whereas over 60% or so was still in US dollars. If you get global trade, it's a similar picture over, what, 80, 90% of global trade uh, by one measure or the other was still conducted in U.S. dollars. Uh, how do you look at this process of, you know, having uh, RMB as, as a more dominant uh, currency and uh, less U.S. dollars and less risks, therefore, of U.S. dollars thereafter? So way back in 2009, uh, the then governor of PBOC, Governor Zhou Sichuan, he wrote a policy paper around the internationalization of the renminbi. So that's almost 14 years ago. So already at that stage, Chinese policymakers have committed itself towards the internationalization of the, of the renminbi. Over the last 14 years, uh, there's been a rapid growth in the renminbi as a currency of trade, as currency of settlement. Um, but as a reserve currency, it still represents a small portion of the total global uh, allocation. In 2016, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, included the renminbi as part of what's called the special drawing rights, which is a basket of global currencies. The US dollar is the dominant one, the euro, uh, Japanese yen, um, and the British pound. So the, the renminbi is now an official reserve currency in the sense that a central bank in Peru or Colombia or South Africa, they can take some of their foreign exchange reserves and put it in renminbi. That is going to continue and the renminbi will become, will be used more as a currency of trade and already, as you know, a number of countries have announced, China, Brazil, China, India, that they will settle some of their trade in uh, local uh, currency. So the direction of travel is towards greater use of local currencies, especially the renminbi. And talking about the priorities of the New Development Bank, you have been the Vice President and Chief Financial Officer for this organization throughout. Um, according to its overall 2022 through 2026 strategy, uh, your organization will direct, quote-unquote, 40% of its total financing to projects related to climate change. As um, you know, uh, climate change is the biggest and the most important big. global uh, challenge of our time. Makani, the former Bank of uh, England um, uh, governor, said that it is also the biggest opportunity, the biggest commercial op opportunity. So when we look at climate change, we see this as a strategic endeavor of us helping our countries work towards policies, work towards strategies, towards uh, net zero. As you know, all of our countries have committed themselves to a 2050 target for net zero, in the case of China, 2060. In other words, the country now has to decarbonize, develop new economic strategies to move away from the very sort of uh, fossil fuel intensive growth that we have uh, had. So what we are simply saying as a bank, together with Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, Asia Development Bank, and all the other multilateral banks, we're all committed to use most of our funding, 
I'm sure in time that 40% will become even bigger. We will no longer build any coal-fired power stations in the future. We will use our financing in such a way that we can help our countries clean up the pollution in the large uh, cities and make our planet more, more livable. Yeah, also a not much talked about concept is the Global South. I believe it is a term first coined by uh, the, the Europeans and the Americans, um, but now it's increasingly adopted by countries, members of the Global South. Um, the BRICS leaders have been talking about elevating the status of the Global South. Uh, the NDB recently, like you said, admitted new members, including Bangladesh, Egypt, the UAE and Uruguay. Um, why these new countries? So the bank, by design, way back in 2014, when the Articles of Agreement or the treaty was signed by all the heads of state, at that stage already, the ambition was always to create a global bank. So the, the BRICS countries were the founders, but the intention has always been for them to dilute over time and to bring in other, other member countries. But we first needed to build the foundation, if you like, in baby steps. We have now successfully done that. As I said, we have almost 100 projects. We are a real institution with you know, big headquarters in, in uh, Shanghai, uh, very well capitalized, very highly rated at AA and AA+. So we are now able to spread our wings and to, to broaden our, our footprint. So these countries that you have just referenced have already uh, joined, and we look forward to having uh, a, a larger group of, of new countries join in the next uh, few years. Um, what is really the urgency talking about the, the issue of climate change of multilateral institutions such as yours do something about it? Because we have been experiencing here in Beijing, for example, uh, record heat waves and also elsewhere. We've seen reports of record heat waves. Climate change is uh, real. I think that there is uh, almost 100% consensus today that the, um, the world needs to find new sustainable growth paths. As multilateral banks, we see ourselves as part of that, that effort to help our countries navigate these uh, changes. There will only be increases, by the way, in the incidence and severity of uh, climate uh, disasters going uh, forward. We, we take that as fact. What we are doing now is to both look at climate mitigation as well as adaptation and making sure that everything we do, every port we build, every, every power, uh, uh, new energy source that we bring onto the uh, grid is renewable. Uh, that in every infrastructure road that we construct, that it takes into account the emission uh, intensity uh, factor. Also, I want to ask you about the Chinese economy. We've seen recent figures of the second quarter slowing down, but overall it's been considered steady. Um, what kind of synergy uh, do you see between the Chinese economy and the New Development Bank considering uh, the latest trends and developments uh, within the Chinese economy? I mean, as you know, China has moved, have uh, transitioned from what has been rapid growth in the past, like very, very uh, high nominal growth of, you know, 9, 10% uh, for several decades, uh, towards a different growth uh, path. There's much more focus now on high quality growth, on the sustainability of that uh, growth, on the sort of disparities between rural and uh, urban, how inclusive this uh, growth is. So, so this transition away from that rapid growth was always going to lead to a slowly slowing down of that uh, nominal GDP uh, number. But as I said, it is much more important to focus on the uh, quality uh, aspects because that growth path was not sustainable into the uh, longer term. 
Even though China is slowing down, there's a massive rollout of infrastructure. So for us as a bank, together with our peers here in Beijing, Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, there's a lot of business to, to be done. The western part of China still requires significant infrastructure, uh, new rail, new airports, new ports. So, so we will be um, uh, investing more in the uh, expansion of that infrastructure rollout in uh, China. China is one of our largest borrowers, the second largest, in fact, within the bank. 24% of our portfolio of $35 billion um, are projects in uh, China. Finally, as the deputy head of the New Development Bank and also as a South African, I've got to ask you about the upcoming BRIC summit taking place in none other than your home country, your expectations. We look forward to the uh, summit. It is a, you know, the, the BRICS formation is now 15 years old. It's, uh, you know, long enough to do some reflection what has been achieved over the last 15 years and to look at the, the current um, conjuncture and then to look at what comes uh, next. There's very, very high expectations that this is going to be a very successful uh, summit. There's large numbers of heads of state invited from all over Africa and other parts of the world. So it could lead to a expansion of BRICS as a, as a political uh, bloc and then also out of that new members potentially joining the new development bank. Yeah, we've seen a whole host of countries uh, waiting to be joining this organization. Leslie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Come back again, please. Thanks. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the, bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is The Hub. Welcome back. The upcoming 15th BRICS Summit is expected to open up new prospects for BRICS cooperation. Wang Yi, the director of the Office of the Central Commission's Foreign Affairs Office, was recently in South Africa's economic and financial hub to align security and political agendas. He also had a phone call with the South African President Cyril Ramaphosa. As over 40 countries have applied to join this economic bloc, what breakthroughs can we expect from this upcoming summit? How can developing countries provide concrete solutions to global problems? To discuss all this, I'm pleased to be joined by Wang Jinjie, Research Assistant Professor at the Institute of South-South Cooperation and Development at Peking University, and also by Joseph Olivier Mendel, head of the African Youth Delegation in China. Welcome to the Hub. Um, Professor Wang, let me start with you. Wang Yi, Director Wang, recently was in Johannesburg, South Africa to attend this 13th meeting, uh, which was basically paving the way for the BRICS Leaders Summit. Director Wang said it was the mission of the Global South to quote-unquote resist external interference and to quote-unquote maintain the security of politics and regimes and also to promote balanced, effective and sustainable security structure. Uh, what do you make of the significance of this meeting and what Director Wang has said? 
Thank you, Wang Guang, for having us uh, today. Yes, I think the most important issue uh, been discussed at this meeting is about the cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is an important area of concern for BRICS countries. It affects the security, st uh, stability, and economic well-being of nations. This meeting on national security has focused on, you know, developing a cooperative approach to address cybersecurity challenges. However, um, the, the increasing reliance on digital technology and escalation of cyber threats and attacks are becoming more and more crucial. So with a number of people doing business and individuals conducting financing transactions online, cybersecurity has been very crucial. For more importantly, at a country level, uh, cyber safety can be really important because that's going to be in danger, the power grids, transportation system, and the communication. Therefore, the need for international norms and rules to govern cyberspace and the importance of respecting the principle of sovereignty of each country is quite important uh, in this meeting. Thank you. Yeah, indeed, cybersecurity is a very important issue. There needs to be uh, new norms and regulations and discussions uh, on the nuances of it, of course. Uh, Mendu, let me turn to you. At the meeting, uh, Wang Yi also underlined uh, political security and economic cooperation potentials, as well as people-to-people -people exchange as the driving force for BRICS cooperation. In your opinion, how could BRICS countries further align to create an even greater synergy? People-to-people uh, -people exchanges is an important pillar of the cooperation. And uh, the BRICS, uh, we have to, uh, so we see that the BRICS countries are committed to promoting uh, cultural diversity and facilitating exchanges and mutual uh, learning and enhancing the friendship among the peoples. And in my sense, ahead of uh, aligning each member state's agenda uh, to better coordinate the stances, uh, I do believe that uh, more effort should be uh, made in terms of uh, regularizing Personalizing people-to-people exchanges and cooperation, because only when member states uh, deepen mutual understanding and friendship among their people, and bringing the ideas of partnership closer to their people, can the bloc achieve a greater synergy. So, because we're talking here about a group of nations that accounts for uh, more than 40% of the world's population, and where a large number of uh, world's youth population live, so. Um, regular and institutionalized people-to-people uh, -people or youth exchanges uh, paired with uh, youth empowerment activities and uh, sound follow-up mechanisms will be able to bring sustainable and further relevance to the BRIC or to such a platform that the BRICS uh, represents. Yeah, there's such great potential when it comes to people-to-people -to -people exchange between Chinese and Africans. Uh, I myself am looking forward to visiting this uh, amazing continent, which I haven't been. Professor Wang, in just three weeks, the 15th BRICS Summit will be held in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, what do you think could be topping the agenda and what breakthroughs and opportunities could it bring, especially to South Africa as it is hosting this year's summit? Oh, yes, Wang Guan. Uh, what, what makes the summit of special significance is the fact that heads of the state from all African countries have been invited. This is probably the largest scale of this kind of summit. Uh, the, the opportunities could include, uh, first of all, would be developing a deeper connected partnership towards climate change, which our previous guest, Leslie, has mentioned. So the new opportunity needed to be explored to manage the risk associated with the climate change. Uh, secondly, will be transforming education and skill development for the future. As we know, towards development and escaping poverty, education and continuous skill development are long 
long-term solutions. Uh, thirdly, would it be unlocking opportunities through the African continental free trade uh, area? So the operation of the African continental free trade area in align with BRICS uh, priorities and the subjects and issues that would be really important. Uh, and uh, other issues like strengthening post-pandemic socioeconomic recoveries, especially for the marginalized uh, women in labor market, their needs should be made, uh, should be met as well. So lastly, would it be promoting the multilateralism? Yes. Yeah, Professor Wang, there has been a lot of talks about using local currencies amongst um, BRICS member states. For example, Juma Rousseff, the new head of the New Development Bank, recently said that there will be a greater number of projects, a greater share of projects financed in local currencies. Um, how do you expect that issue to come up uh, within this uh, BRICS mechanism going forward in South Africa? Yes, uh, the ideas of um, joining the, the, the BRICS and by using the, the local, um, local currency has been discussed. Of course, this would be a great opportunity for the local community and local economy. Um, however, this might be a long, um, complicated process because there are challenges of coordinating monetary policies and exchange rates among uh, BRICS countries and others with uh, because they have different economic structures, level of development and uh, political systems are all different. But those are the very important issues that we have to consider before we thinking about the local currency uh, in terms of this process. Uh, but that's that's a very good future, as uh, Leslie mentioned, it would enhance the role of importance of the BRICS countries in global economy and finance governance. However, the process of introducing uh, uh, either a new currency or by utilizing the local currency would uh, likely to be complex and lengthy that it would require significant coordination among different uh, stakeholders. Yes. Yeah, it is a, a, a process in the making, uh, although it could be a long shot uh, given the fact that uh, the, the bulk of the foreign currencies owned by worldwide governments are still in U.S. dollars, and if you think about global trade, the chunk of it is still conducted in U.S. dollars. Uh, Mendu, let me turn to you. Uh, the BRICS countries now account for over a third of the global GDP, overtaking G20, and also in an increasing number of countries are expressing interest in joining this organization, uh, 40 of them to be exact. Uh, what does that say about the traction of BRICS? And now two decades since its inception, what role do you think has BRICS been playing? Uh, which areas do you think uh, it can play an even stronger role in terms of elevating the status of the global south? Yeah, thank you for your question. Um, you have to um, understand that the BRICS uh, for Africa, especially, can represent a new or represent a new uh, alternative to uh, financing African economies and to better integrate uh, Africa into the world. As uh, a lot of African countries have been uh, complaining to have been feeling excluded from the uh, international system. So uh, the BRICS uh, gives uh, such a very good platform for um, uh, the uh, the member countries, as we. Uh, are also uh, seeing in between, uh, or we're expecting uh, many uh, discussions in uh, issues relevant to uh, the member states. Uh, for example, uh, as uh, the professor just mentioned, we are actually expecting further discussions or further, further in-depth discussion uh, by the memberships or by their leaders on how to deal with and collaborate on climate change or and um, energy transition in aspects such as um, expanding 
the new energy forms and enhancing a uh, technological cooperation. Also very relevant is uh, the collaboration on skills sharing. That's very important among member states. I mean, the rapid development of uh, technologies and innovation and, and institutionalized and strong training and cooperation will push actually the workers to direct to redirect uh, the new um, to new industries and empower the young people with more skills demanded by the market so as to remain globally competitive. So the issues of uh, coordinating growth or st uh, stability and global uh, recovery post pandemic will also be uh, another key point uh, that we are actually expecting when we talk about the South-South cooperation because the BRIC is actually uh, playing quite a significant role in pushing the global recovery, uh, particularly China, such a big economy, which has been lifting the whole uh, uh, global uh, community out of the recession. So um, areas or topics such as how BRICS ca uh, countries will strengthen the uh, cooperation to expedite uh, global uh, recovery, ensure that uh, industrial and supply chains are open to promote globalization and leverage that for uh, the recovery process could also be a main uh, item on the agenda and could also be the common ground for member states and also the friends of the BRICS. Great, Mandu. Uh, we do need to catch up if we do go to South Africa. I want to pick your mind on, on that. Uh, many, many issues uh, at hand. Professor Wang, uh, there are very interesting dynamics. It's a very delicate balance within the member states of BRICS. If you think about the fact that China and India are not necessarily seeing eye to eye on all issues. Uh, India has been part of this Indo-Pacific strategy of the United States, part of the Quad. Um, China, of course, has very strong relations with Russia and South Africa. And South Africa has very interesting relations with Russia as well. Uh, how do you see these competing dynamics within BRICS? Because uh, many narratives from the West are, are questioning the unity of BRICS. Yes, this is a definitely a, a phenomenon that we've been uh, adjust, uh, adjusting, ad adapting to and facing in terms of uh, building up a better collaboration within the BRICS countries. Uh, there are obstacles for sure. Um, the, there are because of the uh, BRICS countries are diverse in terms of their economic and the political system, which can sometimes make it challenging to reach consensus on certain issues, um, such as economic challenges especially after the COVID-19 pandemic has hit the economics of BRICS countries hard. So the, uh, the, the newest data released by African Development Bank shows the, um, except the Eastern Africans with a little bit of better uh, economic growth, the rest of the continent are still slowing down. For BRICS countries, they face the similar development challenges, but challenges also coming up with uh, opportunities. So in terms of the economic cooperation, level of development, um, the internal and external vulnerabilities would bring the BRICS countries uh, together. Uh, but uh, uh, to overcome it, that would be a lot of uh, uh, building up trust and dialogue among themselves and also engaging other significant regional organizations, such as the Shanghai Cooperation Organization or China ASEAN Free Trade Area. So those can help building stronger ties among different uh, BRICS countries. Professor Wang and uh, Mendu, thank you both so very much for your input. We learned a lot. We really appreciate your presence today. Thank you. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Bye for now.